This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 19th of February. That's right. And one of the things that we've been hearing a lot about in the news recently is the so-called UK variant, B117, and there's been lots of reports that it's more transmissible and, it, it, you know, maybe it has um, some characteristics that make it different from the original Wuhan strain. So, Norman, scientists have obviously been studying this really closely and there's a couple of pieces of evidence that are starting to emerge about it. What do we know? So the first thing I'll say is that this evidence comes from non-peer-reviewed research. So the ruler has got to be run over it by other experts. So let's just start with the most recent research, which comes out of a group at Harvard University, Harvard School of Public Health and others, which it's a small study. So let's just start with that. But it's a very interesting one because if you've got increasing transmissibility of this virus, the transmissibility can come for various reasons. One is it's just naturally more infectious, you know, just stick to your body more. Or it could be that, um, and this is one theory of it, is that you produce more of the virus and therefore your viral load gets higher earlier and therefore you're more likely to shed and spread it to another. And the other reason could be that it lasts longer in your body or takes longer to come out and therefore when you think you're free of it, you're still actually infectious. And that's what this research is about. And I emphasise it's early research and it's a small study. But just to describe the study, they intensively studied 65 people infected with SARS-CoV-2. They were tested daily. And seven of these people had the B117. That's what's commonly called the UK variant because it was discovered in the UK. But it's very getting very common in the United States. And what they found was that if you had the non-B117 virus, then the virus replicated for about two days and, uh, and cleared for about six days. So in other words, there was a duration of infection of about eight days. Set this against what we quarantine people for, which is 14 days. So that's well within the 14-day period. But if you look at the people who had the B117, their virus multiplied for over five days and the duration of the clearance phase, in other words, getting it out of your body, was eight days. So in fact, the overall duration of infection was over 13 days. And that's an average. So some people would have been four and some people would have been less than that. So eight days versus 13. So the possibility is that you actually are infectious longer. Now, it's interesting that people have been picked up after quarantine um, with the virus. And so that is a worry here. So in summary, this virus, very small study, in this study seemed to last longer in the body, be infectious longer, getting uncomfortably close to the quarantine limits, and produce more of the virus. So both of those together could explain the, infection, the increased infectiousness just by themselves, even without a significant change in the spike protein that makes it more sticky to the body. So we quarantine people when we don't know if they have the virus or not. We don't know whether the B117 strain also incubates for longer? That's the implication here that it does, yes. And then I suppose it has implications for our rules around when people are then released from being quarantined. If they're a confirmed case and they're being, they're being isolated because they're a confirmed case, when we then say, okay, you can, you can go back to your normal life now. So it might mean that you do a test at 14 days rather than 10 or 11 days. And so what was the other study that's come out recently? That came out of the British government. That's, that, that came out last month, towards the end of January. And 
they were using different data sources. So we've been talking all along about how the only problem with the UK virus is that it's, it's more contagious. But in fact, several lines of evidence coming from various sources, different universities, London School of Hygiene, Tropical Medicine, Imperial College, University of Exeter, Public Health England, all show a slightly increased chance of dying and having severe disease compared to the non, it's called, they call them variants of concern, VOCs. So variants of concern seem to have a high risk of death and severe disease. It's not huge, but it's, it's there and seems to be significant. So it's not just that more people are being infected and therefore a larger number of people on the whole could be getting sick, getting severely sick and dying. It's that in addition to that, people with this strain or, or variant are just more likely in and of themselves to get sicker. That's right. Remembering it's preliminary evidence, it hasn't been published, but it does come from a variety of sources, which is obviously why they, they actually published it. And when you said variants of concern there, was that only looking at the B117 or was that also looking at the other new variants that we've been seeing, like the one that was identified in South Africa and the one out of Brazil? I think it was largely the B117 because that's the dominant one in the UK. So let's take some questions from our audience because that's not something we've had a lot of time to do this week, Norman. And we've had quite a few people asking about how the vaccines in Australia are being delivered in multi-dose vials, I think 10 doses per vial, and whether that's a safe way of delivering a vaccine, how you ensure that they remain sterile and all of those sorts of things. Really good question. And um, I mean, part of the reason for this is practical, which is there's, I think there's been a worldwide shortage of the glass for the vials. So there is a worldwide shortage of vials. And therefore, practically speaking, it, it, you know, to actually get it distributed, you need the multi-vial doses. Um, they have rules around, around this. So if we take the Astra, the Astra vaccine, there's 10 doses in a vial. So first of all, it is possible to get some extra doses out of this if you're careful with the, the needle. And it, it means that you've got to extract the, the vaccine from the vial with what's called a needle with very little dead space. In other words, where there's very little vaccine trapped in the needle and the first part of the syringe so that you're actually getting the maximum amount into the syringe and into the body. You're only allowed to store it for six, room, six hours at room temperature. You're not allowed to take excess doses from one vial and put it into another and stick it back in the fridge. When you're done, you're done. Uh, the vial can be refrigerated, but the cumulative storage time at room temperature mustn't succeed eight hours. So in other words, you've got to time how long you, you keep this out of the fridge. So with the Pfizer vaccine, there are six doses per vial, but you actually can get more out of the vial if you've got a special needle which doesn't have much dead space, as I just mentioned. And it too has got to be discarded within six hours. So you're not allowed to return it to the refrigerator or freezer storage. Once it's out, it's out and it's got to be used. That's why in Israel, for example, when they were getting towards the end of the day and they saw that they had files out and people weren't turning up, they could text people to come in to have their, their immunisation. So you've got, to admin, you've got to manage that, you know, your stock quite carefully. And another question about vaccines. Someone's asking, how much of an immune response do you expect after the first dose of the two-dose AstraZeneca vaccine? That varies according to the vaccine. And what they found with the Astra vaccine in the trials is that you didn't ge generate enough antibody that they thought was protective. It's very hard to actually 
really understand the results of the trials, but it looks as though there was about 50% of the effect was in the first dose. So you get some protection, but it's not enough. So people are protected somewhat between those two doses that are going to be administered up to 12 weeks apart in Australia. They've got some protection, but they shouldn't let their guards down completely. No, and even after you've had the second one, you shouldn't let your guard down completely either because it's still not been proven that it will reduce transmission. It probably will reduce transmission at about 50% of the level of the antibody response, which means the Astra one will protect maybe 30 or 40%. It will reduce transmission risk by 30 or 40%. And the Pfizer one a bit more, a bit more than that. But that's not clear yet. It does look as though from the Israeli data that it is preventing transmission. But you just can't be sure about that and not until after the second dose. So there's no guard down now for a while. And when you have that second dose, how long is it until you're at your full level of immunity? Is it two weeks? It's probably about two weeks, um, according to the data and the trial. It just takes a little while. But it, it, it does kick in and it kicks in relatively quickly. So you can see it in the first few days, but it really kicks in at about 10 to 14 days, I think. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today and for this week. And if you want to ask a question or make a comment, you can do it anytime over the weekend before we come back to you. Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and mention coronacast so we can pick it up and we will see you on Monday. That we will. 